I know there's going to be some things that happen this year. You know, there could be another pandemic. There could be this. The stock market could crash. I mean, there could be all the things. But this is the thing I want all of us to know. Remember when the disciples were going across the sea and the big storm came up? And they all said this, Jesus, we're going to perish. Basically, Jesus said, as long as I'm in the boat, you're going to be just fine. So, no matter what happens in 2023, you're just going to be just fine. Amen? Amen. And uh, I just want to say a couple of things that I said last week. Jesus didn't come to fix you and me. He didn't come to fix us. He came to kill you. He came to kill the old man so a new creature could rise up inside of you and me. So your old man is dead. You don't have two natures inside of you, and I'm not going to re-preach that message. But the sinful man died. The old man is dead. But this is the thing. However you see yourself, that's what you're going to live out. However you see yourself, that's what you will live out no matter what is true that Jesus has done for you and me. So uh, then people say, well, if my old sin nature is dead, then why do I still sin? I'm not going to have a show of hands, but I know you all still sin, including me. Nobody's perfect. I said nobody's perfect. So, but why do we still sin? People say, well, maybe I, I, I still have that old sin nature. Let me just ask you this. You know, Adam and Eve, when they were on the planet in the garden, they were perfect and they did not have a sin nature. Would everybody agree with that? They were perfect. They did not have a sin nature, yet they sinned. People say, well, you have to have a sin nature to sin. Well, you need to read the Bible because Adam and Eve sinned. They didn't have a sin nature. What caused Adam and Eve to sin? They chose. God gave us free choice. And then they were lied to. They, were, they believed a lie when Satan said, you want to be like God. Then you need to partake of the tree. They were already like God. They were already like God. And so uh, they sinned because they were deceived and chose poorly. But we all do the same thing. So um, let me just read one scripture and then we'll move on to this week's message in Romans 6.11. This is what you and I need to focus on. Romans 6.11 says, So let it be the same way with you. Since you are now joined with him, joined with Jesus, you must continually view yourself as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeals while living daily for God's pleasure and union with Jesus, the anointed one. That'll keep you out of trouble. That'll keep you a lot of, of the sins that are flying around in your brain. That'll help you do that to renew your mind. So, all things new. That's what we're going to talk about today. You know, the Bible is made up of two testaments. The Old Testament, the New Testament. And inside those testaments, there's an Old Covenant. And then there's a New Covenant. And uh, the Old Covenant was a covenant made by God to the Jewish people, to Israel. And it was represented by Moses. God basically said this. Here are some laws that reveal my character. And you are to represent my character. And when you blow it, I've set up a system of sacrifice and of animals which will require the shedding of blood. And they, that shedding of blood of those animals will cover your sins so you continually have a relationship with me. That was the old covenant. 
Here's the new. The new means the old, first of all, is no longer part of my life. I may say a couple of controversial things that you may not agree with. That's okay. You know, you should always be like this. Just because the pastor or any message that you hear, you disagree with it, and you say, well, I'm just not going to go there anymore. Honey, you won't be able to go anywhere. And you probably won't be able to be married. And all the married people said, if you've been married more than six days, you already know that, you know, we just don't agree on that thing. Moving right along. But anyway, everything has been severed from the old. For example, if, if someone said, here is my new wife, that could imply that they used to have a old wife or an ex-wife. And so once you have a new wife, this is a good illustration. <laughs> once you have a new wife, you sever that old relationship. You don't think that it would be okay for your new wife if she saw you snuggling up to your ex-wife and, and to, the, to that situation. Because uh, there probably would be some uh, shedding of blood for that to be covered. <laughs> That's sin to be covered. But uh, so, no, it's severed. The relationship, I'm not saying you're not cordial, you're not friendly and everything, but I'm saying as far as having a relationship, that's, that's done. And all the women said. This is the same way it is with the old covenant and the new covenant. It is the same kind of relationship you should have. God says, I've got a new covenant for you, a totally complete and different kind of covenant than the old covenant. In comparison, this would be trying to compare an apple tree to a pickup truck. There's no comparison. You can't say, well, you know, the apple tree, it's, uh, you know, and the pickup truck, it's... uh." No, you can't compare. There's nothing to compare between those two. It's the same way with the old covenant and the new covenant. The new covenant is a whole new way of relating to God. A whole new way to relate to God. But believers around the world, maybe some even in here, still like the old covenant. I sense it all everywhere I go. You sense it on, you listen to any kind of preaching TV or any kind of messages. Man, I tell you what, people mix the old and the new. They mix it. They still want to keep the law. God didn't want a legal contract to have a relationship with mankind. God wanted the most unbreakable bond that could ever exist between mankind to show how much he loved us. He wanted the world to know how he felt about mankind, so he chose a covenant, a new covenant. A covenant is a solemn pledge between two people. It's the union of two parties in which they agree to share in all of the strengths and the weaknesses the assets and the debts in common. They become one. That's why when you get married, you become one. You share everything. If, if he had debt when you got married, you now have debt. If they were rich, you are now rich. <laughs> if they're good looking, that doesn't mean you're good looking. So just <laughs> don't get crazy on me, all right? So, some of you men... 
probably need to realize that anyway. I don't know why I said that, but anyway. God says this. Oh, yeah, and this is true, too. Uh, your enemies become my enemies. All the enemies of God are like sickness is an enemy to God. Poverty is an enemy, enemy to God. So don't cuddle up with those two things because they're enemies. All right. God says, all of my strengths will swallow up all your weaknesses. All of my strengths will swallow up all your weaknesses. If you study out the word covenant in the Greek, it basically pictures an unequal covenant. By that, I mean it's a picture that God says, I will do all the giving. You will do all the receiving. I mean, think that's a good deal. That's called the good news. God does all the giving. We do all the receiving. So what's our part? Receiving not to earn or work for it. We have to believe for it. We have to have faith for that. So the moment your faith, well, let me just back up. Basically, this is our part, the obedience of faith, which means I trust God even when it doesn't make sense. I trust God even when it doesn't make sense. The moment your faith is not restful but is stressful, you just know it's not the faith of the Bible. People say, oh, I'm in faith. I'm in faith. It's really in faith. I hope this works out. No, you're not in faith. You're stressed out. Faith is a rest. That God's got this. God did it, and I'm going to trust him and what he did for me. When it comes to healing, God did that. I'm going to trust him what he did for me. It's not like, oh, I hope the doctor, he really has a good report. Well, what if he has a bad report? you got to trust God no matter what. So the old covenant is God saying, if this is the old covenant. God said, if you do this, this is what I will do. This is, if you do good, good happens. But if you do bad, bad stuff's going to happen. People say, man, I wish I could have lived back in the old tech. Who would want to do that? You have to be perfect. You have to keep the law perfectly. So the old covenant was not a good deal. It was not. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, if, if you read Galatians chapter 3, he says, Oh, you foolish Galatians. You foolish Galatians. You started off in faith, but now you want God to move in your life based upon your works and your performance. They started off in grace and faith, but then they started working and trying to perform and to appeal and please God. The majority of the church world is in that boat. I'm just going to say it. The majority of the boat, I mean, the majority of Christians are in that boat. They're trying to, oh, yes, we're saved by grace. Or the grace of God saved me by faith. Oh, I'm so thankful. I'm so And you start off in grace. And then we start adding things to our relationship to be right with God. We start adding things because, you know, we want. Listen to me. Especially Americans, but it's around the world. But we want to be able to perform to get something. It's in the nature around the world that you, because it's a good nature, you have to have a good work ethic. You can't go to work, punch a clock, and says, I'm just going to work by grace and your grace, and I'm going to work by faith today. You'll be walking out the door by faith. No, so don't, don't get crazy on me. 
You know what I'm saying? But we take that same mentality into our relationship with God. If I want God to, to be pleased with me, I've got to work. If I want God to do something for me, I've got to do something. You know, like if I want to raise, I got to perform at work. Well, yeah, you do. You should be the best worker at your establishment. I said you should be the best worker at your establishment. You should have the best work ethic. And then the favor, you just understand that I'm surrounded with the favor of God. I'm going to get promoted. I'm going to get raises because I have the favor of God upon life. But anyway, Paul says... Listen, if you Galatians are going to keep doing your performance thinking that you're going to get something from God, you have cut yourself off from grace. What does that mean? That means, okay, now you're going to, whatever you work to do, that's what you're going to get. I don't know about you, but I would rather trust and rest in God and what he's already done and by grace receive it. It's a much better deal. So... Are you operating in the old covenant? Are you operating in it? You know, there's a story about the new wine being put in old wineskins. In Luke chapter 5, verse 36, God, Jesus gave this illustration. He says, no one rips up a new garment to make patches for an old worn out one. If you tear up the new to make a patch for the old, it will not match the old garment. And who pours new wine into old wineskin? If someone did, the old wineskin would burst. The new wine would be lost. New wine must always be poured into new wineskins. Yet you say the old ways are better and you refuse to even taste the new that I bring. He's talking about two covenants. Jesus was ushering in the new covenant. He was living under the old covenant. He was living under the old covenant. The new covenant was established when he was resurrected. But the old covenant was this. He was telling them, if you had new wineskin, you pour in new wine. If you have old wineskin, the old covenant, and you pour in the new wine, the new covenant, it's going to bust. Because the fermentation process would bust the old wineskin. Does that make sense? But then he, he was telling them about two different covenants. But then he makes that statement, and it's still true today. Yet you say the old ways are better, and you refuse to taste the new wine that I bring. He says, you're clinging on to the old. You're clinging on to it. And the old is you shall, you shall, you shall not. Don't do this, don't do this, and do this, and do this. In the new covenant, it's Jesus saying, I did, I did, I did, I did. That's the new covenant. But everybody likes hanging on to that old stuff. We want those laws. We want them in our life. There's 600 and something. You know, people say we need to keep the law. There's 630 something laws in the old covenant. How's that for a relationship? <laughs> okay, I'm going to say it. But anyway, what if you were married and... Your spouse had 600-something rules for you to keep. Some of you think, I'm pretty sure we're getting close to that. But anyway. <laughs> but your relationship cannot be based upon rules. Your relationship is based upon love. It's love. 
It's the same way with the Lord Jesus Christ, with our Heavenly Father God. When it comes to covenant in the time of the Old Testament, there is the way that they did it and represented it. They would have a covenant rep representative. A covenant representative. That representative did it as me and for me, and I was basically in that person. They were doing it for me. Um, what they say, I am saying. What they did, I did. You remember the story of David and Goliath? Goliath was representing the whole Philistine nation, and David was representing the whole Israeli nation. So whoever won, all of Israel was behind and in David. All of the Philistines were in Goliath. So that was their representatives. The good thing about that, Saul, who was king, said, whoever kills the giant, this is all that's going to be done for him, paying no taxes. He's going to get my daughter. He's going to get this. He's going to get that. He's going to be blessed, basically. So I want you just to keep in this mind. Covenant means there is always a covenant representative. There's always a covenant representative. And then after the covenant was made, they would always, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, they would cut themselves and show a mark that the covenant has been made. There was always a cutting and then usually they sometimes to make that make sure there's a scar, they would take ashes and rub in that cut. Doesn't that sound fun? And uh, so it would make a distinct mark. And, um, what's the word? Scar. So that it would be proof that you were in covenant with that person. All right. And after the covenant was made, they always would have a covenant meal. And in that meal, there was always two things. The bread and the wine, the cup. To seal that there was a covenant. This is why we take communion. We are reminding ourselves that there was a covenant was made for you and me. There was a covenant that was made for you and me. All right? Before Christ, Adam was our representative as far as the covenant was concerned. So whatever came out of Adam, or whatever Adam did, it affected us, because we were all in him. We were in him. Jeremiah chapter 31, this is God speaking in the Old Covenant. He's saying something for good news for us. He said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I want you just to listen to this. Who is doing all the work in this covenant? Verse 32. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and teach his brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Who's doing all the giving? It was God. So now, who is going to represent the whole human race? Because it was Adam. Now we have a new representative. Jesus 
had to become God, had to become human to be a representative of mankind. He had to become human. Because there is no human on this planet that could fulfill everything that God wanted to do so that we could be in covenant and so that the blessings could come upon us. So everywhere that it says in Paul's letters, starting at Romans, Colossians, Ephesians, Galatians, all of those, you'll see the term in Christ, in him, through Christ, through him. That is saying he is our representative and we are in him. So everything that you read in that phrase, it's representing you. It's the same for you and me. All right. So how do we get to be partakers of Jesus being our representative? The Bible says to believe upon him. You believe in Jesus Christ. You make him his Lord and Savior. In Galatians 2.20, this is why Paul said this. I was crucified with him. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's not I that liveth. It is Christ in me. What was he saying? He understood that Jesus was his representative and he was in him. Paul wasn't there when he was crucified on the cross. But guess what? He said, I was, I was crucified with him. I was buried with him. But I also was raised with him. And seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So this is our new covenant. And God treats us. Listen to this statement. God treats us as Jesus himself. God treats you the same way he treats Jesus. Why? Because not of your performance. It's because of the covenant. This is why it's a powerful thing that we need to have a revelation of this. You have to know this. You're always going to be looking at yourself as weak. You're always going to be looking at yourself, I'm a sinner. And you're always going to be looking at yourself, I can't do this, I can't do this. You are not looking at yourself in the true law of liberty because God says you are in Christ and you're in covenant with him. This is why this is good news. Because the covenant... It's, it was two parties. Remember? It's two parties. And the two parties had to keep their, their, their side of the bargain. You and I didn't even have to cut this covenant. The covenant was between God and Jesus. That's where the covenant... People says, you know, I, I have to do my part in the covenant. No, no, no. You and I had nothing to do with the covenant. I'm going to say it again. You and I have nothing to do with the covenant as far as keeping it. It was between God knew you and I couldn't do it. We couldn't keep the old. So he says, you're not going to be able to keep the new. So what man can keep the new? Can, what man can I make a covenant with? God says, I'm going to pour myself into a newborn babe born in Bethlehem. And he will be God's man to make a covenant with. So all of the life of Jesus, he was perfect. And at age 33, he cut the covenant with God. He said, look into the palms, the cuts, and my feet, my side. The cut that was part of making a covenant. God was in covenant with Jesus. God made a covenant with Jesus. This is why it's the good news people i'm saying this we have to get a hold of this because it's not the covenant that we have to keep you have to believe that you are in him he is your representative 
Everything that Jesus is, everything that he does, everything he says about you, everything he says, he's saying it about you. He is the same as you. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. We're one. Why? Not because of anything. We couldn't do this on our own. There had to be a covenant with God, the creator of the universe, of everything. And he says, I'm going to make this covenant where you have nothing to do with it but to believe. Man, that's good news. Grace is God saying, look at what I've done for you. Faith looks at what Jesus has done for you and, he, and responds to it. Faith is just the response of what God has done. Listen to this. John, I don't know if I gave you the scripture or not. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not, if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. God was saying to his disciples, listen, I'm going to leave. And it's good that I am. And I want to tell you, it's good news that Jesus left. You go, man, if he could just be here today. No, he says, it's to your advantage that I left. Because now, the Holy Ghost, God, is now going to dwell inside you. And then he goes on to say, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. People, this is what everybody says. You know, the Holy Ghost, he's a convictor of sin. He's going to convict you of sin. He's going to make you feel terrible. He's going to make you do this. But you've you got to read this whole portion of Scripture. He says he's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And then verse 9, of sin, and what is it? Because they do not believe in me. That's it. People want to make a big deal of sin, and it is a big deal. Sin will kill you. Sin will destroy your life. But this is what God is saying. This is the sin that I came to fix. That you need to believe in me, Jesus said. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and... And see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Satan was judged. All wickedness was judged. The curse was judged. It was nailed to the cross. Everything the curse represented of sin, sickness, poverty. and It was judged on the cross. Galatians 3.13 says that he was judged. He was nailed to the cross. And the curse has been taken care of because of Jesus. He absorbed, he was like a sponge, and he absorbed the curse from the whole world and nailed it to the cross, and he took that curse to the grave and buried it there. This is why he was raised a new man. We were raised with him. Now we're seated with him. There's a great story about covenant. Uh, you know, Saul was king, and he had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan and David became best friends to the point that they cut a covenant between the two of them. And David said, I will always remember you. Jonathan said, I will always remember you. And they became blood covenant brothers. Well, if you're familiar with the story, of course, Saul and uh, David was going to be king. Jonathan knew it. Saul, was, his main goal was to kill David because he knew that David was, was going to be the next king as well. And so what happened 
was Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. David did become king. One of the first things that David did, one of the first things that David did, he says, is there anybody in the house of Saul or Jonathan that's still alive that I can take care of? Because I'm in covenant with Jonathan. And they said, Jonathan had a son called Mephibosheth. And he said, bring him to me. He was crippled because when Mephibosheth was a baby, they thought that uh, David had become king years before that. They knew he was going to become king. And so he, his, the person, who, his maid that was taking care of him picked him up. And was running out, and she fell and fell on him, and he became crippled for the rest of his life. He was a cripple. And all he heard was, David, he's a bad guy. David is the one who uh, took over the kingship. It was, you deserve all of that because you're a descendant of that. But David has taken, so Mephibosheth didn't have a good uh, perception. I'm sorry, Mephibosheth didn't have a good perception of David. So, David said, bring Mephibosheth to me. So, Mephibosheth thought that, you say that enough times, it just makes your tongue get tired. <laughs> that boy needed a nickname, Febby or something. I don't know. They should have called him Febby. But, uh, you know, so they brought him, and he just thought he's going to be killed. David's going, here I am, you know, this is it. So, he fell before him and everything, and David said that all that Jonathan, your father, and Saul had is now yours. I'm going to make sure that you get your land. I'm going to make sure you get your farm. And I'm going to get somebody to take care of it for you. And all you have to do is sit at my table and eat. Even though he didn't work for it, he was against David. And then in spite of all of his sin against David, in spite against everything against David, David said, I'm blessing you. And it's not based upon you. It's based upon the covenant that I was in with your father. Woo, get a picture of this. I said, get a picture of this. This is you and me. We may curse God. We may say things against God. We may even sin against God. And God up in heaven says, I don't care what you're doing because I'm going to tell you something. I'm in covenant with Jesus. And he is your David. And just like David and Mephibosheth, you're going to be blessed. I've placed all things before you. This is why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all of the promises are yes. And amen, because it has to do with a covenant between God and Jesus. And if you're a believer in Jesus, so be it. Woo! This is too good to be true news. It's the gospel. And this is why Paul was preaching all of this. Instead of, you know, we're hearing sermons and people say, this is what you better do this or you better do that. I'm responding. I'm telling you what. My Jesus did this and my Jesus did that. He took care of all of my sin. He took care of me. And when I'm weak, I'm going to tell you I'm strong because I'm in covenant with my father. It's because of Jesus. It is because of him. This is why we come and we worship him. We praise him. We lift up our hands to him because it's all about 
him. What a story. Mephibosheth thought, what? He says, you're going to eat at my table the rest of the days of your life. You will be cared for all the days of your life. You will be blessed. Everything that is mine is yours, Mephibosheth. Everything that's mine is yours. You will have access to everything. It wasn't because of him. It wasn't because of him. It was because of his dad that he was in covenant with Jesus. I mean, with David. And now we're in covenant. So even though Mephibosheth wasn't even born or thought of when that covenant was made, he was in his daddy, Jonathan. Because he was in him, it applied to him. Because you were, listen to me, this is why you and I need to have a revelation. This is why there's going to be many messages this year of we being in Christ. Because of where, if you know who you are in him, if you are in him, then everything about Jesus, what God did for him, what God, what, who he is, is now in you. We're in him. We weren't born 2,000 years ago when that was all done. When Jesus did everything, we weren't in him. But there was a first Adam. The Bible says now there is a second Adam. The second Adam is your representative if you believe in him. If not, you're still in the first Adam. But he says if you believe in Jesus, now you are in the second Adam. Everything he says, everything he did, he did it for you. He says it for me. He's done it for me. He died as me on the cross. All of my sin, all of my sickness, he bore it all. He bore all of your sickness. He bore all of your shame. He bore everything for you in his name. Amen. Let's stand. Praise God, praise God. God, open up our eyes to see this, to know this is a revelation. I'm telling you, this revelation will set you free. You will do more righteous acts by accident than if you tried to live under the law and do it on purpose. Are you hearing me? And I know there's a lot of... There's, there's people who have gotten mad at me. They've quit the church over stuff, you know. But I tell you what. I'm going to keep preaching the new covenant. I'm going to keep preaching that it's the gospel, the good news, that it's called grace. It's grace. It's grace. You and I couldn't do anything for it. I don't care. You can try to keep the old covenant. You can be pretty good at it. Paul said to the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, you're not going to attain what God has. You can't work for it. You can't perform for it. But if you have a true understanding, now there are people who get a hold of this message and they just say, oh, I can just live any way I want. You don't have a clue what grace is then. Because Paul said, when, they, when the people heard about it in Romans, he says, so we can just continue in sin so the grace of God can increase? God... Paul said, God forbid. So no, that's not, if you're just wanting this message so you can go 
do your own thing, you don't have a clue of what grace is. Grace empowers you to do what you couldn't do. Grace empowers you when you want to try to gratify your flesh. Grace, when you look into Jesus, grace will empower you to say no to sin. Grace gives you the power to say no to sin. Grace empowers you to live righteous. Grace empowers you to live holy that you can never do on your own and on your own strength. None of us can live righteous and holy on you. You can maybe for a little few seconds, minutes, maybe hours. But listen, grace empowers you because when grace, you have a revelation of grace, you realize grace is Jesus and I'm in him. I'm in grace. I'm in Jesus. You and I couldn't do it, but I tell you what, I'm thankful that God sent Jesus to do it for me. Because I couldn't. This is the good gospel, people. This is the good news. This is the new covenant. It's all about God and Jesus. And you and I get to be partakers like Mephibosheth. Amen. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. May we see it. May we know it. May we understand it. May we have revelation of this. So that it will empower us. That no matter the storm, that no matter the temptation, if we're in the storm, we know that we're still going to the other side because Jesus. If we are being tempted, overwhelmingly tempted, if we look within we know that we have the power to say no because I am dead to sin. That dead man that used to live in me, that sin nature that used to live in me has been crucified and he is dead. And now I am the righteousness of God in Christ. So I have the ability to say no to every sin because of grace. Help us to see that this year because I know, Father, there's going to be great temptation. I know, Father, there's going to be overwhelming and temptation. But I know that at that point, help us look within. Maybe the temptation to even quit. The temptation to give up. Maybe the temptation to even give up on our spouse, upon our children, upon this or upon that. Or upon our job situation or upon our finance, upon our healing. To give up, we may be tempted. The devil tries to deceive us to choose poorly like he did Adam and Eve. Help us, Father, in that time of temptation not to be deceived. Not to be deceived. But to choose correctly what you want in Jesus' name. You know, I, I don't feel like that was just a prayer. I felt like that was something all of us need to get a hold of. Are you hearing me? Temptation is going to, it's going to beat you. It's not going to be a knock on your door. It's going to be like those old Roman, you know, what do they call those big round logs? And they ramming, ramming what? Battering ram. That's what's going to knock on your door. It's going to be knock, you know, knock, knock, knock. It's going to be a battering ram. Boom! Shake the whole building. 
It can be that strong of a temptation. But Jesus said this, there is no temptation that can overtake you. None. I said none. I said none. I don't care. There is no temptation that you can say, oh, I just couldn't. Oh, yeah, you could. In your own strength, yeah, you couldn't. But in the strength of God, you just say, okay, Jesus, could you go answer that door for me? I think Jesus needs to answer that door for me because there's something beating against that door, and I just need you to answer it. I heard a, a funny story that just came to me. I mean, old Jesse Duplantis, he's a crazy, funny preacher. <clears throat> he was in the airport walking through. And this woman, halfway naked, came up to him and uh, put, put her arm around him and said everything. He said, hey, would you like to go have a drink and everything? <laughs> I don't suggest this, but I'm just telling you what he did. <clears throat> he said, whore of Babylon! <laughs> she could not get away from him quick enough. <laughs> What do you ever have to do? You know, Joseph just ran from, you know, when he was being tempted. In the Bible, Joseph just ran. Jesse just blurted that out. And so, needless to say, he didn't have to worry about that temptation anymore. So what? I don't know why I say some of the things that just come to my brain, but that just came to my brain. Anyway, God will help you. Amen.